Well, I wonder uh, what comes to your mind when you think about the good life. Okay, the good life. What does the good life look like to you? Uh, is it a matter of uh, prosperity, you know, uh, possessions and wealth? Owning a nice house, a nice car, owning the latest eye gadget? Is it a matter of being debt free? Is that it? Is that what the good life looks like to you? Prosperity. Or uh, is the good life for you more about position and achievement? Uh, getting good exam results, uh, being in a respectable job, progression up the corporate ladder? Is it about having friends? Uh, people who admire you and respect you for who you are and what you do. Is that it? Is the good life for you about position and achievement? Or perhaps the good life for you is simply about having your health. You know, as long as you've got your health, that's all that really matters. No cancer, no Alzheimer's, no depression, you're fit and healthy. Is that the good life? you. Or perhaps the good life is all about being free of those things that worry you. You know, if only you could get married, then that would be the good life. Or alternatively, if only you were single again, then that would be the good life. If only your parents would stop nagging you, then that would be the good life. If only your children would do what they're told, then that would be the good life. Is that it? Is the good life all about being free from the things that worry you? Well, if any of these look like the good life to you, then you've really got to listen to what the author of today's psalm has got to say to you. Because he wants you to know that if you're not careful, then to pursue any of these things as the good life might not only rob you of the true good life, but may also be your ruin. Now, today we're going to be looking together at Psalm 73, and uh, if you don't already have that open in front of you, can I encourage you, grab a Bible now, turn with me to Psalm 73. It's page 414 of the small print Bibles, 909 of the large print, Psalm 73. And as you can see from the title of this psalm, uh, it's a psalm that has been written by someone named Asaph. See there in the title? A psalm of Asaph. Now, who is this Asaph? Well, we know from 1 and 2 Chronicles that Asaph was a Levite, uh, a priest. And he had been given the special job of looking after the worship music and singing that took place in the house of God. Uh, first, for him, it meant in the, in the tabernacle during the reign of King David, and then he moved into the temple during the reign of King Solomon. So I guess you can kind of think of Asaph as a little bit like, well, the Emily Mostert of the temple, okay? <laughs> Leading God's people in uh, songs of worship. But Asaph was also something of a songwriter. And uh, this psalm, Psalm 73, is just one of 12 psalms that he wrote that uh, ended up in the Bible for us. The psalm itself begins with Asaph declaring his absolute belief that God really is good to his people, the Israelites. And that in particular, he's good to those who are pure in heart. In other words, to those who love God and obey him, 
and look to do the right thing. Here, read with me, verse 1, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So you see, Asaph firmly believes that God really is good to those who stick with God and try to do the right thing. He brings them good. He brings them the good life. But there was a time when Asaph wasn't so sure about this. A time when he was tempted to think that maybe his life would be better off without God. Without always trying to do the right thing. What happened to make Asaph think this? Well, he simply looked around. He looked around and he noticed that actually it was the wicked who were living the good life. He noticed that it was the arrogant, those who had rejected God, they were the ones who were prospering. And as Asaph noticed this, well, he found himself starting to envy them. He started wishing he was one of them. Now, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, Asaph is able to look back and realise that this was actually a very dangerous time in his life, a time when he nearly slipped up and came crashing down. It was a time that nearly ended in his ruin. He knows that now. But at that time, all he knew was that the ungodly were the ones who seemed to be living the good life. And he wanted that. Here, read with me from verse 2. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so Asaph saw the prosperity of these godless people and he wanted what they had. He envied them. But not just because they were wealthy, but because everything seemed to go right for them. They didn't seem to struggle with anything. They had good health. Their bodies were fit and strong. And they seemed immune from, from all the problems of life. Read with me from verse 4. Verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. See, these people, as far as Asaph is concerned, they're living the good life. The dream life. Health and wealth and happiness, everything they touch turns to gold. And to think that they're doing all this without God in their lives. In fact, they don't feel much need for God at all. As far as they're concerned, they are their own God. They, they rely on themselves to get ahead. And we're so, so we're told they wear pride as a necklace. And they're completely self-reliant. But more than that, we're told that they clothe themselves with violence too, which uh, probably gives us some idea of how they've got to where they are today. Not through godliness, but through violence. They see something they want and they go for it. And if there are a few casualties along the way, then they don't care all that much. Their hearts are callous, their minds are evil. 
And if someone tries to reason with them, you know, come on, be fair. Well, they just scoff and they go on regardless. They're bullies who threaten to oppress others. Their words are malicious. They're nasty and cruel. We're told that their mouths lay claim to heaven. In other words, they speak and act as though they were God himself. And we're told that their tongues take possession of the earth. In other words, they act and speak as though the whole world is theirs for the taking. And the funny thing is, you'd think that everybody would hate these people, wouldn't you? But that's not the case at all. Now, in fact, uh, many people love them and respect them and they turn to them and drink up their waters in abundance. In other words, they worship their success. These people, they've got no fear of God in them at all. No, for them, God knows nothing. He's impotent, irrelevant. They don't fear God. And so Asaph sees all this and he, con- he concludes that in this world it is the ungodly, not the pure in heart, the ungodly who get to live the carefree and wealthy life, the good life, the life he wants so much. Read with me from verse 6. Verse 6. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. And so as Asaph notices all this, it it, it starts to make him question everything. He starts thinking, you know, maybe I've been wasting my time. All these years of trying to be godly, of trying to do the right thing, of sticking with God, trying to be pure in heart. Maybe it's all been in vain. All those times I've told the truth. All those times I've tried to love others and put them first. All those times I have faced temptation but chosen God's way. Maybe it's all been in vain. I mean, I'm not carefree. I'm not increasing in wealth. And in fact, the more Asaph thinks about it, the more he realises that not only is he not prospering, but actually the opposite. That life for him, under God, has been plagued with suffering. All day, every day. As though he's being punished for some bad thing that he, well, hasn't done. Read with me from verse 13. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Now what is this plague of suffering that Asaph's going through? 
Uh, is it some physical ailment? You know, is it, is it an illness? Is it something psychological? Is it depression? Is it some grief that he's facing in his life? Has someone close to him died? Is it dissatisfaction with his job? Is it financial strain? Is it wayward children? Is it an unhappy marriage? What is it? Well, actually, we don't know. We're not told. But as Asaph thinks about his suffering and the apparent lack of good in his life, it bothers him more and more and and he starts feeling like maybe he has been living this godly life in vain. That maybe, maybe he'd be better just being a little bit more like the ungodly people. And as he grapples with all this and tries to understand it, he, he finds the whole thing really quite oppressive. But that was then. Now, as Asaph writes this psalm, he's able to look back and see that the very best thing that he did during that time of grappling to try and make sense of everything, the very best thing that he did back then was keep his mouth shut. Now, he's just so glad that he didn't go and start planning this idea in other people's minds that perhaps it's better to be ungodly than pure in heart. Because now... He knows that if he had have done that, he probably would have led a whole lot of God's people astray. But of course, the question is, how did Asaph come to learn that he was wrong at that time? Wrong to envy the wicked. What happened to change his mind? Well, it all happened one day when Asaph went into the sanctuary In other words, he went into the temple of God and it was there that everything changed. Because there, Asaph came to realise the final destiny of the wicked. That they are actually on the path to destruction. That God is not just ignoring them, but that the day is coming when he will bring their lives crashing down in the worst possible way. Suddenly, like a flash flood, they will be swept away in terror. And so there in the temple, Asaph comes to realise that that these ungodly people, they aren't living the dream at all. No, instead they are living in a dream. God's dream. And the day is coming when, when God will wake up and just like those things of a dream just disappear when you wake up, Well, so too were these people, as though they never existed, as though they were just fantasies. Here, read with me from verse 15. Verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So there in the temple, 
Asaph comes to no longer envy the wicked because now he knows their final destiny and it is horrific. Now he knows that these people are nothing more than like, like a man driving along in his luxury convertible sports car. You know, cruising along the side of a mountain, on the mountain road, like in one of those TV commercials you see. Drive along, the top's down, the wind's in his hair, not a care in the world. Not knowing that the brakes don't work. And that just around the next bend, the road ends suddenly at the edge of a sheer cliff. Who wants to be in that car? I mean, it doesn't matter how luxurious it is when you know how it's all going to end, does it? Of course, Asaf is talking about hell here. He has to be. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense of all these observations that the ungodly get to prosper in this life. Now, he knows that their final destiny is not in this life, but in the next hell and so suddenly there in the temple Asaph comes to realize that he has been such a fool to envy the wicked that he's been like some brute beast like an absolute ox brain and not just because he's failed to realize all the bad stuff that's going to happen to the ungodly in the end but also because he's failed to realize all the good stuff that he has in his life right now. Because there in the temple, Asaph comes to realise that he has got something amazing in his life. Something extraordinary. Something priceless. Something that the wicked will never have. He realises that he's got God. God, God who is always with him. God who takes Asaph's hand and comforts him and protects him. God who guides and counsels Asaph through this life like a loving shepherd. God who will lead Asaph all the way through this life and ultimately all the way into glory. In other words, all the way into heaven, into the presence, the, the, the glorious presence of God himself. And that's his final destiny. Yeah, what an ox brain. Now Asaph realises that he's got God in his life. And that compared to God, everything else fades in comparison. All that other stuff he envied, the the wealth, the health, the carefree life, all rubbish compared to having God. Not that now he thinks his life's going to be trouble-free just because he's got God in it. No, not, not, not at all. He knows that in this life his flesh, his heart may still fail. But now he knows he's got something even better. He's got God. God who will give him the strength to endure. God who will provide all he needs. God who is his 
portion forever. Read with me from verse 21. 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Wow. What an extraordinary change of heart for Asaph, hey? From looking at the godless and thinking that they were living the good life to now not wanting a bar of it. Now realising that he was the one who was actually living the good life, the true good life, because he had life with God in it. And now he would not trade that for anything. Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? What happened there in the temple? (laughs) What happened there in the temple to make Asaph change his mind so dramatically? I mean, he goes into the temple thinking one thing, and he comes out thinking the exact opposite. What happened, I wonder? Well, we're not told specifically, but I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? I mean, everything about the temple was designed to show the Israelites what God is like. That was the whole point of the temple, to show people what God is like. And so maybe it was as Asaph saw the blood-splattered walls of the temple and smelt the smell of burning animal flesh, all part of the sacrificial system. Maybe it was there that he was reminded of just how seriously God takes sin. Maybe it was then that Asaph realised that God would never let the wicked get away with their sins. Or maybe it was as Asaph heard the Torah, the law, being read out in the temple. Heard again the great stories of God's mighty acts of judgement on the wicked. You know, on the likes of uh, the wicked in the days of Noah the likes of wicked Pharaoh in the days of Moses. Maybe it was there that Asaph came to realise the final destiny of the wicked. And maybe it was as Asaph passed by the great curtain there in the temple, the great curtain leading into the Holy of Holies. Maybe it was there that he was reminded of the ever-present nature of God with his people and his absolute commitment to be with them and to give them the gift of his very self. Or maybe it was as Asaph heard his own temple choir singing praises to God for his unfailing love to them 
Maybe it was then that Asaph came to realise the incomparable worth of having this God in your life. This God who cares for and guides and, and, and protects and, and loves his children so very, very much. But whatever it was, there in the temple, Asaph has had a complete change of mind. Now he knows that the ungodly are going to cop it. And now he knows that he is actually living the true good life, a life with God in it. And so now he's made his choice and he's going to stick with God, make him his refuge. And now he's going to tell others of just how great God really is so that they too will choose God and so choose the good life. Read with me these final verses from verse 27. 27. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And with that, the psalm ends. And with that, it's now time for us to return to our original question. The question of what does the good life look like to you? So, friend, what does the good life look like to you? Is it a matter of prosperity? Nice house, car, no debt? Is it a matter of position and achievement? Excellent exam marks, respectable job, progressing in your career, people who admire you. Is it a matter of having your health, being fit and strong? Or is it a matter of being free of whatever it is that worries you, your singleness, your unhappy marriage, your nagging parents, your naughty kids? Well, friend, if any of these things look like the good life to you, then you know what Asaph would say to you, don't you? You know what he would say? He'd say, you're an ox brain. You're an ox brain. Because none of these things are the true good life. You see, Asaph saw people who had all of these things, but in the end he came to realise that he didn't want a bar of it. Certainly not if it meant life without God. Because he realised that you can have all of these things, but without God, your final destiny is hell. And he realised that you can have none of these things. And yet if you've got God, whoa, you are living the good life. Friend, is that how you feel um, as a Christian? As someone with God in your life? Do you feel like you're living the good life? You know, as a Christian, you jump out of bed in the morning. Wow, it doesn't get any better than this. Or are there times when you feel like, I don't know, you're missing out somehow, being kept back from the good life? It's not always easy, is it? I mean, as you face your daily struggles... 
especially as you see others happy and healthy and wealthy and carefree, happy marriages, happily single, well-behaved kids, well-behaved parents, good jobs, good health, good whatever. It's not always easy to not envy them, is it? Well, friend, you know what Asaph would tell you to do in those times, don't you? He'd tell you to go out and hang in the temple for a little while. That's right, he'd tell you to go to the temple, just like he did. Hang out there for a while. Be reminded again of just who God is. Oh, but wait there, that's right. Uh, There is no more temple for us to go to, is there? Uh, The temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, wasn't it? There is no more temple for us to hang out in, right? Well, actually, wrong. There is a temple, a tabernacle for us to go to. In John chapter 1, we read, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or literally, the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled among us. You see, when Jesus came into this world, he came as like, the temple of God for us. And what was the result of this? Well, the verse goes on. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, friends, just like Asaph's temple, now Jesus shows us what God is like. Now he shows us the glory of the one and only God. But the thing about Jesus is, he shows us what God is like even better than the original temple ever did. Why? Well, because as it says in Hebrews chapter 1, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You see, Jesus shows us exactly what what God is like. In Jesus, we have a way more glorious picture of what God is like than Asaph ever had. And so, friend, if you're struggling to truly believe that as a Christian you are living the good life, then let me encourage you. Go to the temple. Go to Jesus. And in him, learn what God is truly like. Hang out with Jesus for a while and let him remind you that without God, you're like that man in the luxury car about to go off the cliff. Listen to Jesus' words, Mark chapter 8, where he asks, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Because he doesn't have God in his life. You hang out with Jesus And in him, remember that God has already given you his very best. And even let him die on a cross for a sinner like you. And so we'll obviously keep nothing good back from you, ever. As it says in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Yeah, hang out with Jesus for a while 
and let him remind you that now you are never alone. That he is so thoroughly committed to being with you, to holding your hand through this life, to giving you the gift of his very self. As he told his disciples in Matthew 28, surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. Yeah, hang out with Jesus for a while. And remember that in good times and bad times, he is there as your refuge and the strength of your heart. As Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And finally, friend, hang out with Jesus for a while and let him remind you of your final glorious destiny. Like the Christians in in Philippians chapter 3 were reminded, our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Yeah, friend, when you start feeling like you're missing out somehow, when you start feeling like it's others who have the good life and not you, then go to the temple, will you? Go to Jesus. Think a bit again about all he shows you about God, how great and glorious and loving and kind he really is to you. Let him show you that you already have the good life. And then like Asaph, you too may be able to pray with all your heart, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you, God, yes, you, God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Jesus, may this be our prayer. Amen.